CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, August the 15th. We're only a couple of weeks away um, from Virginia opening up its 2018 football season uh, at home um, and a night game, which is a super rare occurrence for an opener. Uh, against the Richmond Spiders, uh, we are, what, I guess a week and a half now. Um, it'll be two weeks Friday into training camp. So there's plenty of stuff to talk about. Um, I think that it's probably best if we uh, we get into the injury stuff first and we'll get that out of the way. And then we'll, we'll kind of talk about um, sort of some of our general thoughts as to, you know, what's kind of shaping up and, um, and kind of what questions we still have uh, going into, um, you know, getting closer and closer to game week. Um, before we get started, let's, let's go around and introduce everybody. Um, for tonight, everybody is uh, David Spence up in Fishersville. How are you, my friend? Hey, that, that's a big task for someone who's never here, evidently. Um, I, I, I believe I've been on the podcast since the first one. Just just want to put that out there. Who Dave's <laughs> on the board at Who Dave's on Twitter. Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for our in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, one Justin Ferber, um, the rock star of the group, is not present tonight. He is he's he's caught some sort of um, bubonic plague. Uh, he been, he even went to a doctor, which you know you know it's serious when a when a uh, when a dude goes to the doctor. That's how you know it's real. Um, so best wishes out to him. I'm sure he'll listen to this podcast, eager to see what kind of comments we made about him. Save Ferber. <laughs> hashtag safe fervor um okay so let's talk about the injuries right so we get to camp last thursday afternoon um we only get 30 minutes of practice as as much discussed on the message board and i i notice mandy alonzo in a boot i notice uh jake feeler in a boot it did not surprise me to see them in boots because at UVA, I mean, this is somewhat true because of the basketball team, but basically I feel like they've, they've, they've kind of adopted this as a, as an athletic department. Like they will just put you in a boot. Like if you looked, if your ankle looked wrong, like they will just be like, yeah, let's put you in a boot. The thing that was interesting was that both Mandy and Jake were both like wearing like their Jersey and their shoulder pads, which you don't typically see with guys who are hurt. So I got the impression and maybe I'm wrong here, but, I got the strong impression that had there been a game that day that both of them would have uh, would have played. Um, but it does open up an interesting opportunity on the offensive line, especially because you have obviously Tyler Fannin has been out with a foot injury as well. A lower leg injury, I guess I should say uh, he's expected back soon. Um, I, I don't think he could, could get back to, you know, to to being in the mix that quickly. But then Virginia also lost RJ Proctor during that practice and um, being the Zapruder sort of sluice that we are we haven't seen you know at least in what they've shown publicly nothing no, nothing to suggest that he's been back at practice um so there are some injuries on the offensive line which has caused some shuffling uh, i believe that that day as we were exiting the practice field at lambeth um i believe left tackle was ryan nelson the left guard was chris glazer dylan Rankinsmeyer was at center i believe um ben newtson was at right guard and marcus applefield was at right tackle I, I wonder if if those guys are really banged up, and let's just assume for this argument's sake, Dave, that they are. That's probably going to be something close to the look that we would expect Virginia to have, unless they don't think Nelson is is the best tackle, and they think uh, either Glazer at, at center, or maybe even like um, Joe Bisinger, who I think has gotten some some burn there um, early in camp, uh, is better at center. Overall, what are your what's your what's your stress level about the offensive line injuries, and and sort of where where does that 
I mean, do you feel like you're in a situation now where it's time to panic? I mean, has this severely dampened your preseason awesomeness disease? Yeah, I mean, um, yes and no. I mean, it hasn't dampened anything. Um, like football is a violent game. You're going to have injuries. It's it's just part part of you know a, a game with that much contact. I think if you're going to have them, it's probably better to have them now than it is like three days before a big game. Um, and because of what we've heard about them, look, I mean, if you're out for a while, unless they're trying to fool everyone that trying to hide a serious injury by having the guy put his shoulder pads on and stand in a boot, which is ridiculous because I don't think a whole lot of teams are stre- stressing over, uh, you know, our right guard <laughs> right now. Um, so, it's a it's a little concerning just because you want these guys to be able to get every rep they can. Um, obviously, we need improvement with the offensive line as far as run blocking, and you need you know you need those five to work as one, especially when you've got a quarterback like Bryce Perkins who is gonna you get got to get a feel for him. Like when is he gonna scramble? When when do I need to you know turn that block? When do I need to do this? So any snap, any practice you don't have all guys, it's gonna be you know, less effective than a practice you could have, you could have them. But I I don't think it's anything that's assuming it's not a long-term injury for both Proctor and Feeler, or assuming it's not a nagging injury that's going to continue. I think the timing's okay. Um, It does give you some time to, to work some other guys and see what you have. Um, And in the grand scheme of things, I think it gives the staff a little bit of time to figure out how to plan that, four game thing for the guys who probably aren't going to play more than that. Um, right. And then obviously we've seen some cross training. Glazer has been working at center a little bit, according to some of the Instagram stories and, you know, his social media. So, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe a better line comes out of it. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess because of that statement right there, it definitely hasn't affected my preseason awesomeness disease. Well, I think the sad part is, is that Proctor had become, I, I want, I want to say in, indispensable, um, might seem but it might seem too much but like the dude was the strongest guy on the team and he had really i think carved himself out a nice role at guard um i think his his uh his ability to to become more consistent would have been uh, obviously a, a big deal now we haven't had a chance to talk to bronco again yet we will get that chance on friday uh he said that evening that he wasn't aware uh if if any of those injuries were serious um now you can read that as saying oh they're not serious but you could also read that as the trainers just hadn't told him anything yet um, so we should get a firm sort of answer about that uh, here very soon. I think that if you think about the offensive line, um, I think it's great that um, it's great when you have a, a group that can stick together. Uh, it's great when you can have guys who are in roles and they stay there for you know you know weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, that 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 sort of the way that those guys gel together uh, is obviously a big positive. But the thing I think that a lot of folks don't really think about is something that 2J said after the first practice, which is like when you have guys who are versatile, like Dylan Rankinsmeyer is, um, Chris Glazer's, you know, he's he's worked at guard, he's worked at tackle, and now he's working at center. When you have guys who can just move around, that actually in and of itself, uh, it, it seems to go against the sort of conventional wisdom on the offensive line, but I think it's actually a really good thing for Virginia especially. You, you know what you have in a, in a couple of ways. I don't think there's, there's any concern about, you know, Feeler being out for, a, you know, an extended period of time. Um, and they do expect Fanning to be back. Um, but your point about the, the 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 young kids is is really spot on because you can you can use them 
you know, in those four games and really get a good feel for whether or not they're guys that are going to continue to play or guys who, who, who need to, you know, need, need that year to soak. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the cross training is great. Like the concept of it is good, especially when you've got a young line with, you know, Applefield kind of withstanding um, a young line that is still kind of learning who they are. But, you know, it would sure, sure would be nice if someone like, you know, if, if 2J said, hey, Rinkesmeyer is, is the left tackle of our future, he's staying at left tackle, you know. Um, so I think if they were just above above board the best at a certain position, you wouldn't see as much cross training. I mean, they weren't going to move to Brickishaw Ferguson, the right guard. Um, so there is a little bit of, you know, you, you could take a little bit of pessimism in, in that statement, but um, I do like just the sheer numbers and the size of the offensive line. Um, and let's be honest, no offense to the guys who have left, who, you know, Montellus had a pretty good year. Pertal certainly came in. They helped fill the, fill the gap. But they're not replacing Morgan Moses or DeBrickishaw Ferguson. So there is some upward, you know, there's a possibility of some, up, you know, improvement, some upward mobility um, just with having these guys in the system a little longer and especially in the offseason program. I think the one other thing I want to talk about on the injury front is on the defensive line. So Dylan Thompson is still, at least as we are aware, right? Unless he's, he's joined the program in the last couple of days. Um, still, still has not, I don't want to say MIA cause that, that sounds mean. Uh, still has not joined the program. Uh, it certainly seemed like from week to week. And this is one of the things I really like about this um, new system that we have is that we were able to talk to Bronco and then talk to him a week later. And the difference, I, I, I'm not trying to read to, you know, I don't want to get all like body language expert on you, but like the difference of the way he talked about Dylan Thompson in the opening practice and the way he did a week later, night and day. It just seemed like to me, um, if I'm going to read Bronco, it just seemed like he was, he was a guy who had sort of resigned himself to the fact that this probably wasn't going to happen. Now that's not me saying this is not going to happen. And it's certainly not even me saying that I'm resigned to the fact that it's not going to happen. It just doesn't seem like, um, it certainly doesn't seem like he's going to come back and, and he's going to join the program and all of a sudden be able to, you know, to, to walk right out on the field. Um, so Mandy Alonzo uh, has a lower, had a lower left in, lower left leg injury. Cassius Pete um, also got hurt though. I'm not entirely sure what, um, what specifically happened there. I saw him working with the training staff on the side, which generally is what, what happens when a guy is not able to practice, but is able to, participate in some fashion they don't like they don't make dudes who are really hurt hurt run up and down that hill at at um at uh lambeth so it's clear to me that they also are dealing with some stuff on the defensive line though that doesn't seem to be as big a deal one thing that i did pick up tonight is that grant mish the uh um 2018 signee has apparently moved to the defensive end position now whether that's out of necessity or whether that's because he he, he might project there given his size. I'm not real sure. Um, at linebacker, they do seem pretty pretty stoked um, on the kids they've got, and obviously they've got a heck of a class coming in um, as well. I, I just feel like um, they're not as bad on the defensive front, but still that's a concern. How much of a concern is the defensive line for you right now, Dave? I mean, I mean the defensive line is a bigger concern for me than the offensive line just because there's less bodies there. Um, and you, you know, in the offensive line, you, you can debate, you know, the gap in talent between the rejected starters and the guys that, you know, are working now while they're out. Um, just cause you don't have a whole lot of, you know, on field results for, for either set of them. Defensively speaking, um, 
obviously Eli is kind of the linchpin of that defensive line this year, but Mandy came on strong at the end of the year. And I think, you know, him being out is probably the Proctor on the offensive line and Mandy on the defensive line are the two biggest question marks right now and two biggest worries uh, with their injury news. And man, Mandy seems like he's in a boot too, right? Um, So maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a nothing burger, but, uh, you know, the he defensive line didn't like, have a. <laughs> didn't he looked like a, a dude who would play if there was a game. I mean, yeah, yeah. He had on his shoulder pads and his jersey, and I mean, he kind of, he almost kind of. I don't want to say he looked angry, but he kind of looked mad that he wasn't. You know what I mean? Like he just sort of looked like a dude who would much rather have been out there and, and didn't seem all, you know, that hurt to me. Yeah, and then you know, um, just try to figure out you know how they work together, and you know, Bernie seems to be healthy, although. You know, I haven't seen Bernie a lot in the videos. Maybe I'm just missing him. Um, the the uh, the movement of Grant uh, Mish is a little surprising because I think it might be proof that Dylan's not coming. Um, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I I personally think the the Thompson ship is probably already pulled away from the dock, and there's there's a chance he might turn around. Um, <laughs> The fact that Jeff White did not mention his name in that article today, yeah. I thought was pretty telling. Well, but at the same time, he just—he's not—he—he he, he might be on the website, but he's for all intents and purposes, he has—he's not a part of the program yet. Yeah, I mean, he posted two hours ago from his workout facility in Illinois. I know he said in his Instagram, one of his Instagram comments, that he had one more class to finish up a couple of days ago. You know, so let's talk realistically. Let's say it takes him a week to finish up that class, and he moves down. He's showing up game week. Um, we, that means he's got to pass the conditioning test to practice, and he's got to mm-hmm. earn a number to get on the field. You know, I think best case, you're probably hoping if he does come, he's able to contribute by maybe third, fourth game. Yeah, if not ACC season. So at this point, I think you plan on him not being here. And let's talk. He's not a guy who's got a lot of snaps. Same with Pete. You know, Pete's only played in like three games in his career. So I, I think the success of the defensive line laws and um less so in those grad transfers um, or transfer in, in Pete's case than it does in whether or not one of Aaron uh, Redmond or uh, Samson can contribute. And Redmond looks like he's getting a lot of work, and that's a big boy. So maybe he's not ready to play an end spot, but if he can come in in a pinch and let Eli kick out and he can just gobble up a couple of blockers, and maybe maybe you can put something together there. Um, well, And that might be that place where the four-game – rule really comes into effect because you can you can play Jordan for you know a game or two and then play him again later I mean there's nothing that says you know what I'm saying like it's yeah the rule is really it really allows for a lot of flexibility I mean that Broncos singled out both Jordan and Aaron Falmui um tells me a lot now um I I I have I have no doubt in my mind that Bernie is going to surprise a lot of people um watching him work through those bag drills um, during the summer workout that we got to see, uh, and the fact that he was one of those dirty dozen, it tells me that he's in great shape. Uh, and I think that in and of itself for a guy, his size, I mean, he, he moves really well. Um, and he's a, obviously a really strong kid. Um, the position itself, it, it takes him getting used to, he's a guy who's played on the offensive side of the ball for a long time, but, um, I'm not as qu- I'm not nearly as worried about the defensive line mainly because I, I think I, I know what I think I know what they've got in Eli. I think Mandy could have played. I think Bernie's going to be better than most people think. 
and generally, I, I do think that um, that Redmond and and uh, Falmui can give him some burn. I also am not totally you know down on like um, Christ or um, or even Isaac Buell. I think he could give him some um, some reps here and there uh, in the middle. Uh, but overall, I think the injury situation, at least as it stands today, we'll we'll, we'll get a chance to talk to Bronco on Friday and, and get a better appreciation for sort of where they are as a team. But overall. You know, I think they're in a, in a good spot. Uh, I think one thing that has been interesting has been, you know, we all sort of expect, obviously, that Bryce Perkins is going to be the quarterback. Doesn't seem like uh, Broncos any closer to naming a number two. Um, you know, I, there wasn't, you know, he and he, I mean, that doesn't seem to be worrying him. I mean, he's no tremble in his voice or anything. Um, it just it, it seems like both um, um, Lindell Stone and, and Brendan Armstrong are, are in that conversation. Um, I, I'm not real sure as I look at the rest of the team, what sort of unknowns I have, at least in terms of who's going to do what, right? It's interesting to me that Joey Blunt is really pushing Brenton Nelson at that other safety spot. Um, and that if that's the way it's going to be, you've got good players pushing good players. That's a really good sign. Like, I think there are some people who, who might hear that and, and get a little bit worried, but I think it has a lot more to do with like how good, how good Joey's playing and, 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 and the way he's pushing Brenton than it does about Brenton, you know, sort of coming back to the pack. What did, what did you think about that, that, that little tidbit of news? And, and does that surprise you at all that Blunt is really pushing him um, for playing time? Yeah, it's a little surprising. I mean, you're talking about the ACC, you know, defensive rookie of the year. Um, and, and, you know, Nelson played lights out, but, you know, Blunt got kind of dinged up last year. Um, what was it? I can't remember how far in the season it was, but, um, you know, no, there was a lot of, he got hurt. He got hurt in the spring spring. That's right. He got, I'm sorry. He got hurt. In the spring. Um, that's what I meant. Not the season. And I got hurt in the spring, but you know, you heard a lot of chatter about blunt last year and, you know, Quinn jr or whatever. Um, so it, it doesn't surprise me that he's pushing him, but it still does. If that makes I mean, not that I'm trying not, not trying to cop out, but, you know, Nelson was was so good, and it seemed like when you could drop Thornhill back to pair up with Nelson once Quinn left, then maybe you wouldn't have a huge drop off. But right. um, you know, Brenton's not doesn't have the size of Joey, um, at least based on what I can tell. I haven't stood next to him in yeah in person. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, but I, you know, assuming our defense, especially with the defensive line questions and the types of offenses we play. You know, we're probably going to play more than fifty percent, maybe even sixty percent of your snaps in a in a nickel look. So I would say it's probably going to be more than that. Yeah. So I mean, I think ideally in your nickel look, you can you play both of those guys. Yeah, um, I think they'd have in that look. I think uh, they'd have Nelson at like the nickel back, and they'd have um, Joey in at safety. And quite yeah. frankly, I think that because and I've got a, a video that if you're listening to this on Thursday comes out, I'll, I'll drop it in the afternoon. But Blunt talks openly about look, Nelson's the best um slot cover guy we got um and i thought that was really interesting like he there's a, it's an interesting competition because at the same time that they're competing with each other and they definitely are they're definitely eagerly watching the other's reps they also know that like the the better that they both do the better the team does and i think that's an interesting sort of wrinkle because ultimately if you're if you're competing with somebody you want them to screw up Right. You want you want to be better than them. Yeah. Um, and they don't seem to have any of that, which I think is is a is a direct result of sort of the culture that they've built um, in Charlottesville. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's nice to have anyone competing for taking a starter spot. I mean, that hasn't happened in a long time in Charlottesville. You know, it's always been if there's a returning starter, he's usually been the guy who's keeping right. the spot the next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, at all mean, positions. And that you could have a defensive rookie of the year 
who who might be pushed in camp by a guy who hurt himself, got a, broke his collarbone in the spring and didn't even get all the spring. Now, granted, Brenton was hurt in the spring too. Like that, he didn't get a lot of burn then either. But I just think that that's a that's one of those like great problems to have. Um, and regardless of however that rotation works out and however it stacks up once the season comes, I think that's good for them. Um, yeah. I, I think the other the other position battle that I'm really curious about is how things sort of shake out at wide receiver. Um, we I think we have a pretty decent feel now for the fact that Tavares Kelly's going to play, and he's probably going to play a lot. Um, Joe Reed told me he's an inside guy, so it looks like Terrell Jana and Hasis Dubois are going to be the guys on the outside. Um, if I had to guess, my guess would be that the Kelly plays consistently through the season, uh, and maybe Ugo Obasi as well. Uh, maybe they maybe they play Billy Kemp some, but he probably ends up getting the red shirt after three or four games played, um, just because he they, they sort of have an eye for him to be like the next Zacchaeus and then that sort of H back role. Um, I, I just feel like they have a lot of talented receiver. I just don't know. Um, with the with the offensive tweaks that we expect and sort of the the sort of um the way the wind is blowing so to speak right uh there you know i i don't think it's a situation where um you know the 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 passing offense you saw last year's they're going to break it in two right it's not it's not like it's going to be cut in half but it's certainly not going to be the focal point so the question is are the receivers who who are you know great pass catchers and big playmakers down the field um, are they not as important as guys who can really block well? And I thought that was something that stood out to me about that Joe Reed conversation I had uh, and the video posted. You know, he talks a lot about blocking, um, which, you know, in, in last year's offense, <laughs> you wouldn't have thought a lot about, but that's obviously going to be a big deal. Overall, what's your feel on the uh, on the wide receivers right now? I'm pretty optimistic about it. I mean, big shocker, Dave is optimistic about something. Um, I, I like the group, and – you know, I go back to, you know, you're replacing Leroni and Dowling had really productive years last year, but it's not like Leroni and Dowling had really productive years the three years leading up to that. I mean, they, they were kind of inconsistent leading into their senior year, you know, Leroni, especially with injuries. Um, so I mean, I don't think you have to, like, obviously you've got to replace that production, but I don't think it's impossible or irrational to assume that someone in place can, um, you know, Jana seems to be having a really good camp. Um, Hasis is working hard, has the good, has size. You know how I feel about Joe Reed. I mean, I, I think Joe Reed is a superstar in the making. And then you basically add an OZ 2.0, well, I don't want to call him 2.0, but <laughs> OZ Jr., you know, um, and, and Kelly. That's, that's a lot of weapons. And now, they're, they don't have to be as precise. They're not going to be running into double and triple coverage as much as they were last year, assuming Perkins is, you know, at quarterback for the whole, for the whole season, just because he's going to demand a lot of eyes. Um, so, you know, their relationship with the quarterback is as important as, you know, probably more important than it was in the past. Cause they need to be able to feel what he's going to do and break their routes appropriately. So, right. um, seems like they're working hard. I think they, they have all the talent. Um, you know, it's not maybe not five-star talent, but they're all talented kids who are, who are fully brought, bought in. I mean, every one of those guys are in their number already, except for Kelly uh, as a first year. So that's got to be a good sign because they're not exactly giving out numbers pretty easily around here. Yeah, speaking of uh, of numbers, that was a heck of a segue you just set me up there for, Dave. Good job. Do it again. Um, God, we didn't, even th- we didn't even talk about that. You don't get enough props. All right, so – 
numbers selection happened. Numbers. It happened earlier than it's happened the past two years. Uh, to the surprise of no one, Jordan Ellis got to pick first. Um, wasn't really surprised much by the by the guys who were um, who selected. Maybe a little bit surprised by some of the guys who didn't. Um, but forty one, I think, is a strong number for the first draft. Um, where do you fall on this um, annual rite of passage, so to speak? I mean, watching a little bit of video, I was even more convinced that my um, not so hot take from the board the other day that if they showed this in its entirety, people would really eat it up. Um, but it just further confirmed. And like, I think if, if people were able to see this thing happen, um, I, I just think that they would be even like, there's a certain element of unknown to it, but like when you see it happening and you see the excitement of the kids and like, you, you know, you see them run over and get their jerseys and whatnot. Like, I just think that that would be, that would be a heck of a play. Um, showing people a minute of it's not really as much fun, but, um, talk yeah, to me yeah, a little I, bit about the, the number thing, man. What was your general sort of thought about it that, for the third year? I'm going to cop out. I mean, I kind of feel both, I feel both sides of it. Like I feel like it's something we discuss too much. Um, but uh, it's clearly something that the players are fully bought into. Um, it'd be great for me if, you know, the first, the first, every practice video we saw from, from day one and through the spring, all the numbers were on the players and we could say, Hey, just, you know, we could more easily identify it. You know, if you guys had any idea how much time we spend trying to figure out who a player is on a picture that's out, you, you would understand how much less we would have to talk about if there were numbers. But <laughs> all that stuff largely is irrelevant, right? I mean, like, great. It's a little harder on us. But, um, I mean, in one minute of that video, you saw how much it meant. I mean, those yeah. guys were excited. Yeah, they and, were. Now, I was kind of under the impression that the order was done by the leadership council and like, this is how we're going to do it. But it seemed from the video that once they got to a certain point, I don't know how far along in the night that was, but it seemed like the guy coming up was calling the next guy. Yeah, so, almost like it was like, you know, you got selected and then you went and you chose your jersey and you selected the next guy. Yeah, and those guys were f- completely pumped. I mean, they were running to their to the numbers and then they got the, the helmets with their, num- the matching number on it, the little mini helmets. Like I collect. Um, yeah. You one know, of those, I thought that was actually um, really cool to do to yeah. throw those little mini helmets in there. I wonder if they're exact replicas or if they're just white helmets with just a number on it. Oh, what they had the saber on the other side. I oh, saw they did? a picture okay. of it. Yeah. Someone cool. flipped it around. I couldn't but. tell from the, from the stripes, like if they were exact repl- replicas yeah. or not, but they're, you know, they're fully bought into it. Um, I mean, I think the only surprise, I mean, PK, was what third or fourth that got picked? Yeah, he was pretty high up there. Yep. Yeah, I mean that that's got to be a sub, you know that, that we know my bias for PK already, but um, that's good. And Ellis getting a third year in a row. Someone, yeah, news, I guess, someone new's got to get it next year. I wonder who yeah. that's going to be. But I, <laughs> I do wish, I, I do wish for the you know forget transparency or whatever. I know they want to keep some stuff in the house, but I would eat up watching that entire thing. Um, yeah. I would, I'd love to, I wish they, I'd wish they release it. Yeah. I think it would be good. I I also understand too. And I don't have, I told this story on the podcast. If I have, I apologize. I'm going to tell it again. So one of the things that is very evident in the, in the stuff that you see put out by the school um, via the social feeds or, or just in general is that they're being very careful not to show you much of anything in terms of what, like real football, right? You you might see a play where you see Bryce and he drops back and throws the ball and a guy catches it, but you don't see much of anything on a wide angle where you can see who's doing what elsewhere in the play. And that is specifically 
obviously, I mean, I hope it's obvious to everybody that that's intentional, that they are specifically making sure that they don't put out too much. It's one of the, the big reasons why they didn't want us to watch all the practice. Now, I have not been shy about telling folks like, look, what I saw in the spring um, tells me that this, that they're going to run a lot of like, um, I don't want to call them um, gadget plays, but like a lot of stuff with motions and shifts and dudes, you know, fakes and all kind of like, they're going to do a lot of stuff um, in and around the line of scrimmage um, to set up mismatches. And that, you know, if you're playing, if you're, if you're doing all that stuff with RPOs, it makes a lot of sense that they're going to be a lot of, um, you know, guys in the flat who are going to be wide open and they're going to rumble, you know, 10, 15 yards before anybody gets to them. I, I think that though, when Bronco, I forget how the story was relayed to me, but that basically like they were blown away when they were at BYU about the amount of footage that they were able to gather about UVA just from UVA, not even from like media folks, actually from UVA's in-house people. Um, and now granted, I mean, obviously that first game, um, it didn't exactly seem to benefit BYU all that much, but at the same time, like you just don't want to give people that advantage. And I am not one of these people who believes that coaches should be as paranoid as they are. Um, you know, there's no reason that you can't let us in there and let us see practice. If you want us to not talk about formations, okay, we just won't, but like all the people there know us, we're not selling trade secrets. I'm not, I'm not out here, um, you know, in the middle of the night calling up, um, you know, Richmond or Ohio or uh, Indiana and saying like, Hey, I got some plays. Would you like some plays? I got some plays. I'm like, I'm not that dude from way forth, but at the same time, like I get, I get why they're being cautious. And I also understand why when they're installing a lot of this new stuff, um, they're, they're being careful, but it, it just kind of does blow my mind that, that, that schools would be that smart. We're not, would be that like savvy to try to go and watch, you know, the other, the other schools in-house video people and what they put out, but you're not getting much of anything um, from these, these clips other than just seeing dudes run around or, or more often than not, you're not watching them actually doing much of anything that you could really gather anything from. And I guess that's a, that's a good thing, but it certainly seems like to me, both from the Jersey stuff, as well as just the way that the kids are responding to it, that like, this is going to be the best team they've had um, since Broncos been there. If nothing else, it's going to be the team that's, that's the most bought in and understands their concepts and stuff the most. Even if they do, even if they are making some some changes um, on the offensive line, I mean, excuse me, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, um, I mean, I kind of thought when when it comes to that, you know, open practice and what they're showing on social media. You know, we I think we had talked about the the BYU, you know, watching Virginia Sports TV. I think we had talked about that before on on the podcast, but. Look, it's not like you're opening against Florida State. Sorry, Virginia Tech. Um, you know, you're opening against Richmond, so you can hide as much as you want. But assuming you're going to actually use your playbook against Richmond, it's going to be on film anyway—a lot better film than you would have gotten in practice. So, I understand, like, you know, Broncos, you know, third year in, still a lot of a lot of development to do there. I do wish they would open a practice to the fans. Look. I don't get the fans whining about it because there's a spring practice and no one shows up. Right. So I know it's the spring, blah, 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 but let's be honest. I mean, the turnout for spring football, there's your opportunity. Very few people take advantage of it. Um, So you can't whine about it when fall comes and they can't. However, it would be nice if they opened up one. Um, Like you don't do much in those. It doesn't matter. I mean, the first couple of days of camp when they're not even in full, full pads, what what are you really going to lose by having the fans there other than engaging them a little bit? 
And I think it takes that, it, it does kind of take that, um, that point of contention away from the fan base. And look, you know, if, if you don't want to go, it's <laughs> up to you, but it, it would be nice to have it open. Um, I did think it was interesting. I don't know if you noticed it, Brad. They showed a clip of Perkins a couple of days ago on one of the Instagram stories. And it was just him like running. But if you looked at it, right, he was like, he's running like a, a, a running back pattern, like on an option. Like he's trying to catch the ball. Do you see that? I don't are believe we gonna be, it. Are we going to be edited now? No, no, no. <laughs> I don't believe we did. I, I don't believe we did. I, I do think, though, that that's what I'm talking about. Like there are wrinkles out of wrinkles. and. I think folks need to prepare themselves for like, like how I don't want to say non-traditional, but it's not going to be what you expected it to be last year. No. Um, now I got, um, I don't know if anybody saw the the story on STL um, on Wednesday. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize I was going to get branded as the agent of, of optimism, but <laughs> um, Matt reached out to me and said, Hey, I, you know, I've listened to the pod and I, and I know that, that you, you've been saying, you know, since the spring that you thought they would make it to a bowl because you thought Bryce was special. And, and it's funny because I, I know I said that. I just never really thought of it like as a formal sort of thing. But, I mean, I'm not going to shy away from it. I think the kid is special, and I think Virginia, you know, is, is good enough to get back to the, um, to the postseason. Um, but I definitely <laughs> – and I know he listens to the pod, so I, I appreciate you putting me on the, uh, in that story, Matt. But, like, the agent of optimism thing, I've never thought of myself as being an agent of optimism or even an optimistic sort of, uh, sort of person. But I do think that that kid is special. And and I, and there was that one play um, that, and I don't know if this is the same one you're talking about, but like he he really, um, I mean that kid's got some moves. He's got some wheels. Um, now, no, it's not the same one. I know which one you're talking about. Okay. When he hit he's got to be he's got to be accurate with the football. He's got to make good decisions. He's got to take care of it. Um, that's something um, you know he's talked about this preseason. Um, you know, understanding that you know you have to have the ball, you have to possess the ball, you have to be able to keep the ball. Um, I just think that if folks are expecting him to be, oh, well, we've got this quarterback, but he doesn't have as good arm as Kurt. Like you can think that, um, I'm not going to try to sit here and tell you that he's got uh, a cannon attached to his, his shoulder. Like, like Ben Kurt does, but the kid is, 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 his arm is, is serviceable. Um, I mean, I think he's got a, a good arm. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't try to put him in the Binker category, but I don't think he has to be because I think that offense, and especially with the pieces they've got around, how you account for Zacchaeus as well as Perkins, as well as whoever's in the run, whoever's in the backfield. And you also probably have to account for, for you know, they're going to use Kelly a lot in these sort of mismatch creating uh, alignments and things like that. Um, but overall, I think one of the reasons I'm so optimistic and, you know, look, I understand their offensive line has to come together. I understand that the they've got some depth issues on the defensive front. I'm not trying to say everything is great. I'm not saying that they're going to win the Coastal. But Robert and I is just a much better play caller um, with this type of offense. And that was made really apparent to me when I talked to Mark Atuaya uh, the other night after practice. You know, I was like, hey, look, you, you know, you're a lot of stuff just changed, you know. And he was like, well, actually, this is what he's more comfortable with because this is everything they did really when he was at BYU. Um, so I'm really curious to see what the offense is like. I think it's, it's probably the thing I'm most excited about. You know, I'm always happy to get football season back. It's, it's the end of my, my dead season. Um, but at the same, I mean, I'm just really excited to see this offense and hopefully, you know, they're able to, to, you know, put up some points and, and have some success early and fans can really get behind them. That always makes my life easier, but certainly, um, to me, Perkins is the guy 
that I'm most excited to see. Who are you most excited to see? Has Kelly um, worked his, his way up uh, the, the Spence index over there? I mean, Perkins, is, I mean, it, yeah, I think we all have to accept Perkins as number one, right? I mean, um, it's the most important position on the field. Um, but yeah, Kelly, I'm pretty excited to see Kelly. I'm, um, who else? I'm a little. I'm really excited to see how Evan Butts works in this offense. I think wow. Butts is going to be. You open went to tight end on the third dude that you mentioned about who yeah. you're excited. But you think you about what every, everything bird. else you got. You got you got you got Oz who's going to demand attention. You've got Kelly who's going to potentially scare people. You've got a quarterback who can you know who, who's mobile. Um, who's covering the tight end in that situation? Like Butts, I think Butts is going to have a big year you know, assuming everything works as it should. So for that reason, I'm excited to see it because, you know, if a quarterback has a tight end that's open, that offense can always move the chain. Um, I mean, Groh's best offenses had the tight ends, obviously. You go back to Welsh. I mean, Welsh always laid, laid on the tight end. All good offenses have that guy. And um, and I think Butts is a plus, he's a plus tight end. He's, you know, he's not on the Heath Miller level. Yeah. Not a scrub either. I mean, what did Broncos say about him? They, they, that he's always open. Um, yeah. and he probably will be open a lot. Um, yeah. you know, I think that this is going to be, this also just pinged one of my thought, maybe my concerns about the offense, which is you're going to have a lot of situations where the, there's going to be a call at the line uh, as to whether or not it's a run or a pass. Um, and you just want to make sure that guys are, you know, aligned correctly and, and not, um, and not basically ruining a big play because they were out of position or what have you. But I, I think you're, I mean, I do, I, I mean, I gave you some, some, some static for it, but I do think Butts is going to be a, a really crucial piece. And quite frankly, um, he, he kind of feels like the perfect sort of tight end for Perkins because you just, you know, he, he will be open. Like they're not going to, you know, he's just going to be open and you put it near him. He, he may, he comes up with the catch. Um, so, I mean, yeah. 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 And I mean, look, we, we talk a lot about the offensive guys when we talk about excitement, I'm really excited to see what, uh, Charles Snowden can do at outside linebacker. Um, you know, he, he's a, he's put on a lot of, um, a lot of muscle and a lot of size, but he, at six foot seven, he still looks really skinny because he's just long. Um, I'd be wearing that one, one this year. He's going to look even longer. He, but I mean, he can cover so much ground, um, that it is pretty absurd. He's probably the one defensive guy that I'm most excited to see other than maybe Tim Harris, just because it's been so long since we've seen him consistently that I'm just really excited to see, uh, Tim out there. And I hope he he and Malcolm both are able to stay healthy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch Jordan Mack. I mean, uh, just like Joe Reed, you know, I have a, you know, Joe Reed's probably my offensive crush, and <laughs> Jordan's my defensive one. I mean, I think Jordan Mack is is a heck of a player. I mean, he had over 100 tackles last year, and it kind of got overshadowed. I mean, um, that's hard to do, you know. Uh, and he was, you know, he's still learning the position. So I'm I'm looking forward to see what he can do. I'm really looking forward to seeing Mandy in year two in the system. Right. Um, so I, I'm just looking forward. I'm watching. I'm looking forward to see if we can kick a field goal or 38 yards. I mean, there's a lot of, I'm, I'm looking forward to football, Brad. <laughs> I, mean, um, I really am. I think, I think, I think we you speak for everybody. Um, for, since Ferber's not here, we won't have a fifth side of the ball tonight. So uh, we're, we're going to uh, put a pin in it there. I do want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. If you're somebody who came to the website via the podcast, um, you know, feel free to, to, um, you know, give us a review. Um, it always helps to, you know, to have, uh, positive, 
um, positive comments and whatnot so folks can uh, can find us. If you're somebody who found the podcast but you haven't found the site, give us a look. Um, lots of features and stuff rolling out. Um, recruiting news, obviously, as well. Um, and, and, a, and a community of folks who, uh, who regardless of whatever's happening with Virginia, um, they're going through it with you. Um, and <laughs> sometimes, sometimes a little bit feisty, but, um, but all the, always, um, at full tilt. So give us a look at, at castcorner.com. I want to thank Dave for giving graciously of his time as always. Also want to uh, give another shout out to Ferber and hope he's feeling uh, better. And we have him back next week for, uh, what will be our preseason prediction podcast, uh, otherwise known as the time when all three of us make complete fools of ourselves. Um, Dave, usually more so than anybody else. And hey, um, he's going to the 14th straight bowl. <laughs> That's right. Dave is uh, for 270 episodes. Dave has been optimistic about Virginia football. Um, but anyway, uh, I do want to, uh, to promo that a little bit because it, that'll, that'll be fun. And it's always a, um, a nice, uh, annual sort of thing. I, I watch as Ferber and Dave dig just, it, they just have copious amounts of notes and I just roll in. I'm like, ah, I think Virginia win that game. Um, so it's, it's the one time where I, I really don't, uh, I'm not really, um, going to be, uh, sad if there's uh, somebody else did more research than I did. But anyway, again, uh, thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show, uh, for David Spence. I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. <laughs>